it just it just proves your point, Foz. If they if they just you know limit Laguardia traffic, everything runs smoothly. Both <laughs> <laughs> Laguardia, and everything's better. <laughs> Amen. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I am Stephen Seagraves. This is episode 287, joined by uh, our normal host, Seth Miller, Fosma Moon, and a special guest, Jason Rabino- Rabinowitz. Ugh. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> I, choked I, on I feel name. a little badly here. We're a week late having Jason on the show, but there was no AIX last week. Oh, That's true. Oh, you made yeah. me sad all over again now. I know. <laughs> should have been in Hamburg eating beige food and drinking good beer. Oh, I should have flown Air Belgium twice in the last month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but is that actually a good thing? I'm not sure. And I'll now I'll probably never know. Yeah. Yeah. There's pretty good chance. Would you say there's a pretty good chance they never fly again? Uh, they suspended all two of their routes that they actually fly from themselves for until uh, June. So who knows? Check yeah, again. Like- who hasn't suspended all of their routes, basically? Do they even need to do any of the relief flights for all the uh, 7-8 stuff at this point? I guess not, no. Well, Lot's only doing, like, two flights to the U.S., like, every few days, so. Like, can, we blame, can we say that maybe Rolls-Royce is behind all of this so they could catch up? <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not Rolls-Royce 5P, was, it's Rolls-Royce. Yeah, Rolls-Royce was mad that all, only the 787s were grounded, so they unleashed this horrible pandemic upon the Earth so that all the planes would be grounded. This podcast is different than my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have crazy conspiracy theories from Foz as a a segment? I usually keep those in my head. (laughs) Where's the fun in that? Yeah, we don't have filters on this podcast. You're right. It's definitely different. (laughs) Oh, man. Something that's actually real, please, before this. Yeah, so there's a there's a blog called Bluer Skies on Substack, and they had a post about planes flying higher and climbing faster uh, during the coronavirus because of um, that. They're, they're you know the planes are lighter, so there's not as many people on board, and planes are flying higher because of that. I thought that was interesting. I, I mean, I was I've been watching some of the traffic in over New York. It's it's wild. Everything is just coming straight in. There's no <laughs> zigzags. There's no holding. Uh, like you you take off if you're going west, you take off and you make a hard right and you go straight. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty wild seeing planes come in from the, the south up to LaGuardia. You're right. They pretty much make a straight line until they either land or do their little swoopy thing over City Field to get to 3-1. They, everything is basically fly direct to wherever it is you want to go. If you see a cloud, just take a right. There was an interesting, I mean, just in, in line with that, Heathrow is down to single runway operations because there's so few flights and they're alternating if they use the north or the south side on a weekly basis. And then depending on the winds, you obviously either use the nines or the 27s. And so they were departures from nine left are rather rare. And some, and part of that is because of this, the uh, city and the houses on, at the end, you know, just off the end of the runway. But they were showing it. And because there's also nothing on the south runway, they basically were able to depart nine left and like immediately bank right if they wanted to to head south into Europe or beyond. It was like looking at it on the map was kind of crazy. Um, the... Back to that newsletter, uh, uh, Ethan is Clapper is the guy who writes it um, and is a aircraft dispatcher and uh, master's candidate uh, in aeronautics. So reasonably smart guy, knows what he's talking about, knows what's going on uh, in aviation very well. But he was doing some analysis and basically found that he ran two studies, one out of one over Houston and basically found that on average, planes were flying 2000 feet higher because when they're lighter, the optimal altitude is higher. Um, and so you go up and because in the U.S., uh, east-west traffic is separated by a thousand feet, 
So you do evens or westbound and odds or eastbound, if I remember correctly, or something like that. Sure. Uh, or, or vice versa. Steven, <laughs> you, I was hoping you would be able to correct me on that. Uh, I think it's, I think it's east is evens. Okay. Evens west to east. I think so. Okay. Um, very French. Uh, west is spelled with an O in French. Um, <laughs> as opposed to German where east is spelled with an O and it would be very confusing. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they, so if you go up a level, you actually go up 2000 feet and it was one of those things. It was sort of a theory he had, and then he went and checked the data and it was real. So, well, I'm wrong. Um, east, East is odds. West. Okay. So, so we're German, not French. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm glad you know where to check that. <laughs> um, and the rate of climb was also an interesting one that he apparently is data out of O'Hare where there are no strict like level off at this place or, you know, whatever climb controls. And found that planes were, on average, climbing out uh, 300 feet per minute climb rates faster. Hmm. So, not, I mean, it's statistically significant, not huge, it's, but, you know, definitely moving much faster. Yeah, and by the same token, uh, planes are lighter, but they're also freaking empty at this point. So, it's not that they're also flying faster, but they also take practically no time to load. There's no real con- runway congestion. So, flights these days are routinely landing 30, 45, 60 minutes early, which is just crazy. Oh, that schedule pad evaporating? It's just perfect. unnecessary. Yeah. I thought I thought the most interesting thing was the Chicago to Moline uh, on Transstates Airline. It hit a maximum vertical speed of 6,000 feet per minute, over 6,000 feet per minute on its climb out. <laughs> thing was like a rocket. I was going to say, that's basically vertical takeoff. Now, isn't it? <laughs> pilots, it must have just been the pilots and the flight attendant. They're like, hey, watch this. Yeah. <laughs> Clip in, we're going. <laughs> Oh, that's also on a tiny little regional jet. I, I can imagine that on like a 752, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. An over-engined regional jet is not something I ever thought I'd ex- I'd discuss. I wonder if that was because they had to hit their altitude, you know, 10 minutes after departure, and it's only, you know, a 30-minute flight. Ladies and gentlemen, we've reached our cruising altitude and have now begun our descent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the other story, Seth, you wrote about it. Uh, new autopilot rules for the 737 MAX. What's the what's the deal with this? So it's interesting. Basically, uh, the minimum equipment list, which is the you know mandates what is allowed to be broken on a plane when it dispatches, was updated, and it's the master list from the FAA. And then each operator can add additional things to it if they want. But the master one is at least the minimums. Uh, has historically for every type I've checked, and I checked a bunch of them, uh, has allowed for dispatch with zero autopilot computers functional. And it turns out that with the latest guidelines for the max, that will not be permitted. (laughs) It's interesting. Someone was noting that uh, MCAS does not operate while autopilot is engaged. And so I think there's a link there where they're basically mandating that there's a way to turn on autopilot to force MCAS off as part of it, maybe. Um, There's a couple other things that are also included, like uh, trim stabilizer indicators and switches and buttons on the control column. A lot of them, and even the the wheel for manually adjusting the trim, the thing that, like, in retrospect was, like, was sort of implicated in the two crashes, and then it was, they found out that, like, at the speeds they were going, no one would have ever been able to manually wind it anyways. Um, Apparently, the dispatch, the minimum equipment list, historically required that only the one on the pilot in command side was working. So if the first officer was flying, was slated to fly that flight, that one had to work, but the other one didn't. 
And they've now said both have to work no matter what. So there's basically a dozen or so changes, all of which are around making sure pilots have better awareness and better ability to control trim on the plane. And considering that's sort of what caused it to crash, that seems to make sense. Mm. You had me scared there for a second because you said MCAS, and I'm thinking well, TCAS. I'm like, why wouldn't you want TCAS working with autopilot? <laughs> nope, nope, nope. The, the other thing, the one that actually controls the plane and accidentally uh, forces the nose down if the angle of attack indicator gets hit by a bird. I got there. I got there. Yeah. I wonder how rare this, uh, double, I guess, the double autopilot in-off actually yeah. comes up. I, I mean, I'm sure it does on older aircraft. Like um, when we went out to Roswell on Americans MD-88, they told us they were hand-flying the aircraft, not until the end of the flight did they tell us, oh, we're only doing that because both autopilot systems are broken. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm <laughs> wondering Gosh, I how... They didn't, I can't believe they didn't fix it on the way to the scrap Yeah, weird, right? But I'm wondering how often that actually happens in reality. I'm sure it will happen once the, the MAX gets up there in age, but I, I can't imagine that happens all too often with the younger yeah, aircraft. I, I had one pilot respond to my uh, tweets on about it, suggesting that it is a very rare situation, and a dispatcher who said uh, that it basically it can happen, but the extra paperwork is a pain in the ass, so they generally prefer to fix it. Yep, that checks out. <laughs> right, if the dispatcher doesn't want to do the paperwork, and and it's harder for the pilots. There's some airlines have uh, rules about the the master mail has a line. The note about it says you're allowed to dispatch this way so long as it's within a bunch of things, one of which is the pilots accept the extra work for their duty day, basically. And one of the pilots said that they have stricter limits on what their day can be if they have to fly the flight fully manual without autopilot available. So it's not just like the eight-hour limit that the FAA puts in, but they have an internal policy that limits it even more <laughs> for a work day. Because um, it makes sense. It is harder work, I guess, if you're doing it nonstop. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think about, you know, crashes in general and kind of what it's done to the aviation industry. And iteratively, it's gotten safer because of crashes and accidents. Um, you know, like, uh, what was it? There was a Bergen Air flight back. Uh, it was Bergen Air 301. I can't remember what year it was. Let me see. Look it up real quick. It was 1996. It was a 757 that crashed coming out of Puerto Plata. Um, and you know, they found that there was a bunch of reasons why the main reason was that they, the pilots ignored and speed disagree. So one pilot's uh, control said they were going one speed. The other pilot's control said they were going another speed um, and the plane crashed because of that. But the FAA at the same time found a bunch of tertiary things that also led to a bunch of confusion in the cockpit. So they actually asked Boeing to change warnings and bells and, and stall warnings and things so that pilots were more aware. And I think it's iteratively made travel safer. And from what it sounds like, they're trying to do the same thing here. Um, and and require Boeing to to make some changes that are iteratively better for the the passenger. Yeah, and you know it's not just that one crash. Obviously, um, yeah. all crashes, right? That's sort of the whole NTSB and whatever other investigative uh, parties are involved, depending on the country. That's sort of why they are fully independent, apolitical. Um, and in the U.S., it's a problem because they can't mandate changes; they can only recommend. Uh, but Yes, when they say, "Hey, this is there's this thing that causes planes to crash. You should probably fix it." Uh, usually, people decide to fix it um, yeah. eventually. So, obviously, it sucks to learn and have death along the way. But that is one of you know the iterative process is why flying is as safe as it is. And you know, deaths are down year over year. We just got the 2019 data from IATA last week, and it's, you know things are better. But yeah, it's still hard to process some days. 
Yeah, and, and you know, and I wasn't trying to say that that one crash has changed aviation. I think it was just an example that I could think of off the top of my head. Um, but I think that m- most crashes, like you said, you know, yeah. the, the, these organizations are going out of their way to make sure that those same things don't happen again. So yeah. it is interesting to me that they removed the opportunity to fly with no autopilot on this type and no others. Mm-hmm. All the other, I mean, maybe eventually those also get updated, but all right now, uh, this happens to be the only one. Yeah, yeah, that I could find, anyways. So. Um, in a little bit lighter news, Doubletree Hotels has released their cookie recipe. Yeah, no one can check into the hotels, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> so no, well, no one's checking into the hotels. I don't know, <laughs> right? Like the hotels are empty. They wanted to generate some publicity and some business and some, you know, and it worked. <laughs> have you cooked them, Jason? I have not yet. I'm too afraid to go to the store to get the ingredients. Mm. <laughs> But is it really the same experience, given that you actually have to do all the work versus just walking in? Hmm. I mean, my last Doubletree stay, they didn't even offer me the cookies, so it's hard to be worse. You Did could have gotten some points for that. Yeah, Did you give me a compensation? <laughs> no. <laughs> what kind of I, was right. I, think the secret ing- I think the secret ingredient is the lemon juice, for what it's worth. Interesting. So I, so, make, I made a lot of chocolate chip cookies in my day. I made a lot of oatmeal chocolate chip cookies in my day. Uh, lemon juice has never been in them, so... Also, it's like double the amount of butter as usual. So my question for – yeah, I mean that explains their, why they're so greasy. Um, but my question for Jason is, you know, don't you have a Trader Joe's near you, Jason? Uh, yeah, I tried going on Sunday, but then I remembered it's Easter and they're not open. Because <laughs> I have to say that they're the best organized so far that I've encountered as far as grocery stores. So if you're going to go get ingredients, do it. Oh, yeah. I haven't been to Trader Joe's in, in probably three or four weeks. I went right in that weird – part of time after the initial rush of stores, but before like the actual like, oh crap, stuff is actually happening. <laughs> yeah. So I just kind of like walked in, did all my shopping, walked up right to a register and walked out. But now, yeah, I'm, I'm like uh, two blocks away. And every time I go by, the, the line is like out the door and around around the street, probably because they're limiting the number of people who can be in. I'm sure it would be fine on a normal day, but I'm not really willing to wait outside. I'll, I'll go in a weird time. We, but we need experience from you to know how these cookies turn out. So yeah. can I, can I I'll just, brave the new Wegmans. <laughs> can I also point out that they released this in the middle of Passover when eating cookies baked with flour isn't kosher and I'm a little Ooh, bitter? That's a good point. <laughs> what are the odds the, the cookie recipe was actually leaked in some sort of uh, data breach and they wanted to just get ahead of it anyway? It's very <laughs> low. <laughs> Very low. They're not, they're I also not very odd. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Steven swings low right there. I like it. Uh, I also, though, I mean, looking at the recipe, fine. You know, yes, we could anyone, you know, it's a very doable home recipe. I get that. Do we really think that, like, they stock all that shit at the, the, these hotels? I guess do they just use, like, the normal recipes in the kitchen at whatever the attached restaurant is to make these as opposed to, like, Someone at Hilton headquarters ships out tubes of frozen cookie dough that they just put in a little oven behind the... Are they actually homemade? Well, the recipe is obviously a recipe that can be made at home, so I don't know. I feel like I feel like they probably make it at, the, at a location, central location, and then ship it out. The and then they bake or it. The, the, the dough, yeah. So that's another thing. Like, you get a tube of frozen dough when you just portion it as necessary. Yeah, they, they just took their mass recipe and divided by 500. <laughs> This is sort of my question is what's the divisor? How much are you dividing by? Like what is what what is one recipe that goes out to the regular store, you know, to the whatever property? Well now it's divided by zero because no one's staying at exactly. the hotel. So yeah, who knows? Did you guys see the story on Twitter where a couple, like boyfriend girlfriend staying in quarantine, he got up, went to the kitchen, made a single pancake and returned. <laughs> yes, I saw that. And didn't ask the girlfriend if she wanted one. <laughs> he sat there and ate it in front of her too. That's yeah. the best part. Oh, that's <laughs> didn't have the decency to just eat in the kitchen and come back. Wow. 
but also just think about scaling recipes. I want to know how you make a recipe of a single pancake. Like we, the single serving recipe that we have makes like 20. <laughs> Could it be a frozen pancake? Huh. Lenaya Lina- suggested also it might have been uh, like a pre-mixed powder. So my, my thought on it, there's eggs in pancakes typically. So like you can't scale down an egg. If you open it, you have an egg. Well, they, they definitely have those like pre-made things in the plastic jug where you just add water, shake and pour. And you can pour out one pancake and then just throw that back in the fridge. Okay. Yeah, I think that's what we came to. It must have been like a powdered egg sort of thing. But maybe it was a flyer talker and they stole one of the machines from the Alaska Lounge. <laughs> <laughs> just push the button once. All the girlfriend would need to do is push the button, get her own pancake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so as far as airline statuses, uh, American has finally come out and said uh, they're extending status, uh, but with a slight twist. Um, and this twist is you can earn million miler status with credit card spend. Uh, Which dating back to 2011 was a thing and then stopped at the end of that year. Um, except the, what the premium card had to tilt for an extra year to 2012. But yeah, I think that's a smart play. I, we had this discussion kind of with some uh, internally with some friends and you were saying, you know, you think it's a, it's a differentiator. It's uh it's going to encourage people to, to spend on those cards. Why do you think that is like, do you think that people are actually looking at their million mile number and going, I could reach, you know, 1 million miles or 2 million miles or whatever with American. If I spend a little extra on this thing, not necessarily that some, I mean, yes, ultimately, right. If like, Oh gosh, I'm, I'm going to spend some extra money. I'll make status at great. But I think it more comes down to, Typically, like when I go and spend, I'm either thinking about my current status, the, if, if the card I'm spending on earns me any status at all, I'm thinking about that, or I'm thinking about what points am I going to want to redeem in the near future, and or what are going to be most valuable long term. And then there's obviously all the bonuses and everything else. But with this, you know, Delta, Delta's deal where you whatever uh, Madan qualifying miles you are in this year, roll over to next year sort of helps on the credit card side. If you hit the threshold for the 10,000 points on there, I think it's like $25,000 gets you 10,000 MQMs on the SkyMile on the MX. Presumably you can do that this year and next year and get the extra miles because that resets and they'll roll over. So that's cool. This is a similar sort of thing where, you know, it's not necessarily for the status this year because your status this year is already going to extend automatically to next year. Um, and I'm ignoring the people that have no status and are trying to qualify on the lower rates, but whatever. Um, I really don't think anybody's in that boat and really thinking about it hard. But I think that basically people who are looking at it a little longer term are going to say, well, you know, like I'm not traveling as much. So I didn't redeem any miles this year for the big trip. So I've still got all the miles left over from last year. I don't need to replenish as quickly. And I can spend my cash on any of these X number of cards I have in my wallet. Why wouldn't I go for something that has a little longer term benefit while where everything is in pause and I don't have to worry about the short term. Mm. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, I joked when our comment conversation earlier, I was like, I don't think I have an American card anymore, but if I did, I might try to turn a little bit of cap, uh, spend on it. Yeah. And I'm nowhere close to a million mile or just like, but if I'm going to do it, why not get a little bonus while it's available? Makes, I mean, it makes sense. Um, Jason, are you an American flyer? Is that your... Are, I am you're currently an AA Advantage member. So, uh, you know, member. Uh, I'm chasing gold, which is, you know, not <laughs> great. <laughs> but are you actually chasing it or is it just a thing that like might happen to you? I already have the EQDs for this year. Uh, I guess with the newly aligned status, I'll probably 70, 80% of the way to the EQM for gold, but I am not chasing American status. Yeah, though. I was going to say, A, it's a useless status and B, it's only 15,000 points or, yeah, it, yeah, it's just a thing that is going to either happen or not happen. Uh, so, and then is in that same regard, Foz, are you chasing it? No, no. 
I mean, 60,000 for EXP sounds appealing, but it's 60,000 miles on AA. <laughs> like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> nah, dude, get yourself a nice Qatar Mistake Fair, take Q Suites to Asia. Again, you know, if I needed to go, I would consider doing that. But if I'm going to do frivolous flying, I'm going to probably stick to United to continue on the 4 million march. Makes sense. Would you charge that ticket to your advantage MasterCard, though? Ooh, double dipping. No. <laughs> no. I was like, what are you talking crazy? <laughs> I'm like, no. I would just put on the MX for 3X. I don't, for 1X versus 3X? I don't think that works out too well. Unless I get AA to issue it. Yeah. Get AA to issue the United ticket? Yeah. That'd be fancy. <laughs> I mean, I know they can, but that'd be fancy. So, I mean, I, I think for, for frequent flyers of American... Yeah. It maybe it's a it's a good it's a good thing for them um, to have this option. Um, for the rest of the world, probably doesn't matter much. Yeah, and like you know, like I said, I think I think it, I think it shifts sheriff's wallet a little bit towards American and towards the bank. Um, mm. And that's the other thing is American got creative and included the banks in their promotion in their sort of whatever it is this year. So I think that's a smart move. I think that is going to help. Just just having help in funding whatever this is is good news. Well, I mean, there's an article this morning that Delta and United are going to go are likely to go back to their banks to sell more miles. Right. So the the question is, is this something that AA just said? Well, you know, this is a source of revenue. If we can drive this business, we can you know we'll get ahead of this, and that's what they're that's the only reason they're doing it. I think a little bit. I think it's also though it becomes. I mean, at that point, or is it just a different version of mile selling? Miles, I mean, yes, maybe. Yeah. It was a little weird that only Delta and United were cited in that story and not American or Southwest or any of the others. And and on the same token, for the same token, Seth, that you were talking about, you know, the selling miles and stuff, the airlines are struggling and the credit card companies are struggling even, right, as products are kind of getting pulled um, and closed down and people are closing accounts um, because they see this credit card that's not earning them anything because they're not spending money on plane tickets. Um, I mean, this is the airlines are having to make some tough choices and the credit card companies, right? I mean, what do you do if you have the $500, you know, airline specific lounge card and you can't fly and you can't use the lounges? They're not waiving parts of the annual fee yet. Yeah. Yeah. Like how pissed would you be? Yeah. It's like, it just makes sense to get rid of the card. Being in that boat, pretty pissed. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, so, I mean, and you know, there, maybe that changes, maybe they extend it, maybe they do something else along the way, but it's, uh, when the credit card pushing blogs start talking about, these are the cards you should cancel. Things got, th- you know, things got weird. <laughs> Have any of the card companies started doing like a, a partial credit? I thought I saw something about Chase Sapphire, Chase Sapphire Reserve doing like a $100 credit to counteract the $100 bump they just did that is now chock full of features I can't use. They, your, your, lift, your lift service? Yeah, exactly. The lift service, the priority pass I can't use, the DoorDash I can't use, all that fun stuff. It's very targeted at the moment, and it's only if your annual fee is due within a certain period of time. Interesting, because I was already thinking about canceling that card, and now I'm, I'm obviously accelerating that thought. Um, so $100 back would maybe be nice, but I don't know at this rate. Yeah. <sighs> Got to consider all the possibilities. Um so, Seth, you also wrote a story, or you've talked about route exception um, and which routes shouldn't come back and which routes will come back. Um, so the airlines are kind of going back and forth with uh, the government on what they're going to bring back and what they're not going to bring back. What's what's the details there? 
so the CARES Act, the deal that's supposed to get the airlines their $27 or $29 billion in extra funds. And can we just really toss out there quickly, how the hell do the cargo carriers also get extra money when their business is off the hook, right? I have been wondering about that since day one. It doesn't make any damn sense. They are anyway, rolling in the business right now. Anyway, free $4 billion to those companies. But uh, yay, yay, lobbyists. Um Basically, as part of the law, there was a requirement to maintain critical service, and it was left to the Department of Transportation to interpret that and what it meant. The DOT issued a initial guidance. All the airlines provided feedback. The revised guidance adjusted it a decent amount. Um, and the, the gist of it is, if you operate a route less than five times a week, you have to operate it once a week. Uh, if you, five, less than five times a week historically, you have to do once a week now under the new rules through September to get the money. Uh, if you're a small airline and operate it more than that, it's three times a week. And if you're a large airline and operate, excuse me, not a route, a destination, which is a big difference in why Allegiant is pissed. Uh, and if you're a large airline and you operate a destination more than 25 times a week, you have to maintain it five times. So basically, like what's required and what they actually were scheduled to operate is in, there's an insane spread. Like, uh, you know, United and Delta and American each typically operate something like 20 to 30,000 flights and now only have to operate a thousand. <laughs> um, historically Allegiant operated, uh, I'm looking at my, my chart here, like 800 and now has to operate 350. Uh, Allegiant has the most required of any small carrier, even more than Alaska airlines or JetBlue, both of which are much bigger. Um, it's a re- but it's it's tied to the way their route network is structured. And actually, in their uh, appeal or their request for exemptions, they mention it. They basically said, like, yes, we might fly to City X five times a week, but that's three different destinations. And so maintaining that three times or four, you know, five different destinations, so maintaining it three times doesn't work because people have to get back and forth. And it's like, you know, they do two a week out and backs to Myrtle Beach or Las Vegas or wherever the resort is. And having to split that up, it just doesn't make sense. And it doesn't actually fit the same bill as a legacy carrier that flies, you know, six times a day to each of four hubs. Yeah. It's like a very myopic way of looking at the different yes. airlines. Right. Yeah. And bizarrely Southwest, like, and because of the way it's route network is structured, even though it has something like 30,000 weekly flights can get away with, or 20,000 weekly flights can get away with only uh, just under 400 as part of the new rule. It's basically 80 destinations, all of them except three, five times a week. Hmm. Who knew the Greyhound effect would pay off? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we Jason and I were talking about this a little earlier today, and he started pulling up some data on just how close some of the airports are. And a few of the airlines even reported on this. And basically, they're all – it starts raising questions about why there are so many flights. Yeah. Uh, you posted this example from, I think, United in their filing, um, some cities they want to withdraw from. And these are actual examples that United gave that Green Bay is only 25 miles from Appleton. Uh, Gunnison is 48 miles from Aspen. Ithaca is 46 miles from Syracuse. Kalamazoo is 45 miles from Grand Rapids. Um, I mean, it just begs the question is, do these airports actually need such ridiculously redundant service? How, so, many, how many of those are EAS airports, though? That's a great question. I mean, I don't think any of them would be given how close they are to another airport. Yeah, Green Bay. Why would Green Bay need EAS service? I, um, I, I will say the Gunnison one, someone pointed out to me that, yes, it's only 48 miles from Aspen, but there's a giant mountain in the middle. Oh, well, that might clarify. So that's like a three and a half hour drive. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that one actually like- might, you know, get bounced. But other than that, right, like when uh, it was either Allegiant or Spirit, one of them in their initial filing pointed out 
or no, it was Providence, Rhode Island, the airport, TF Green Airport in Providence. In the initial, one of the other things about the initial DOT adv- advice was that same metro area airports would all be counted as one thing. So, uh, and the DOT chose to use its rule on what same metro area airports are, which is stupid because no one sells them that way. Um, but like White Plains, Stewart, JFK, LaGuardia, and which one am I missing? JFK, LaGuardia. Newark, White Plains, Stewart, five. Those five uh, are all considered the New York City metro area. So an airline that, if an airline flew to all five historically, they could fly to just one and satisfy the rule. And that's pretty much what JetBlue is doing. I think it's withdrawing from LaGuardia. Withdrawing Stewart and White Plains. Stewart and White Plains. Well, White Plains is closing for runway construction anyway, so they don't have a choice. But I never really thought I'd see the day where uh, JetBlue voluntarily withdraws from LaGuardia. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting about that is the, so TF Green got mad because they were worried they were going to lose flights to Boston because Providence and Manchester are considered part of the Boston metro area. Worcester is closer than Providence and is not because the rules are so ancient that, <laughs> and like, and, uh, Portsmouth, my airport up here is also closer and is not considered part of the Logan or the Boston metro area. Um, but they pointed out there's a bunch in central Texas that are also like similarly 20 to 40 miles apart. Like Colleen, Waco. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you're piling up, but yeah. you're inevitably going to get a bunch of people saying, "Well, the, these airports are, you know, origins and destinations. They're for connecting passengers." And I, I just never buy that argument. That that's utter nonsense in my mind. Why, why would you? Why, why do you say that? Like just because like it doesn't make sense from a financial perspective. Well, I, like, I, passengers I used to. Can't- I used to frequent one of these routes, uh, Lansing to Detroit, which is all of 74 miles by Great Circle route. And the only reason anybody ever took this flight is because the airlines priced the connection from Lansing to Detroit lower than just flying out of Detroit. Nobody wants to add that extra leg of going to security at Lansing, getting there two hours early, inevitably having to wait at Detroit for two and a half hours for their connecting flight. They only did it because it was cheaper. And that's almost always the case. So I think if you remove that element of taking an extra flight for really no reason being cheaper, those flights won't have a need to exist anymore. Yeah. I mean, like, so what do you think about like something like Milwaukee to Chicago? Like that? Utterly ridiculous. Yeah, because it's like an hour. I mean, it's a little bit of a drive. It's like an hour, hour and a half, depending on. It's also connected by Amtrak, I think, on a fairly regular route. Yeah, but not to to the airport. Not Not to the airport. airport. You go downtown, yeah. But I mean, there's two two things to think about that, right? There's a lot of it is business or driven by business, right? So if you're going from Milwaukee to say the East Coast, connection seems silly. But if you're going from uh, Milwaukee to Asia to schlep down to O'Hare to take a flight, is a lot lot bigger have a headache than if you than going to your local airport. True. And if you get free parking, yeah, because I mean that, <laughs> that that was part of the whole drive that uh, Delta justified their Minneapolis Haneda initial route uh, approval was all the small airports they serve. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I I think there's definitely a case to be made for having regional service like that, but for having such closely redundant service to me is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's why, it's why like things like uh, Beaumont to Houston turned into a bus for United. Right. I mean, Sun Country had their whole bus world, right? I mean, or just trying to. Yeah. Yeah. What what happened to that? They launched it. Yeah. I hadn't heard a word on that since uh, launch day though. Presumably, that means none of them crashed. Oh, that's good. I'm just trying to look for the bright side here, okay? (laughs) And, I mean, another thing to consider, right? When these flights are running full, it's easier to add an additional city to split that traffic up, right? So you could run five flights to Appleton, or you could run uh, three to Appleton and two to the other one. True. Right, and segregate the traffic if they're going to connect anyways. Because all these are small airports. They're going to connect anyways. They're not going nonstop anywhere. Um, I guess 
sorry, just not to beat a dead horse here, but I guess part of me wonders like, is, is the problem there that what you should not allow just flights that are that short? Like if they want to fly from Appleton and green Bay, they have to fly to different hubs or something like that. And not just to Chicago. Well, I mean, I think what they should do is they should not be allowed to fly those ridiculous routes to congested airports. So like LaGuardia, JFK, Newark shouldn't be happening. Chicago has the capacity. That's fine. Detroit has the capacity. That's fine. But I think like we see this in California with LA too. There's a lot of ridiculous routes in and out of LA. Um, like Santa Barbara, LA. Do you need it? Nope. And I think United was at least attempting to do some of that recently where they had a lot of their southern tier and upstate New York routes going into Newark. And I think they recently shifted those down to Dulles since they had a better chance of actually getting in and out of Dulles. Right. They, in like Ithaca, and uh, the, there's Ithaca, there's Harrisburg, there's another one that they shifted away from Newark. Um, but And that's the thing, right? Remember, United in Southern California used to fly LA, Orange County, LA, Ontario. What? LA, Orange Oh yeah, I, I have flown. used to fly to Ellington and Hobby from. I know, I, 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 I have flown L.A. Orange County. Faster <laughs> <laughs> than the four hundred five. Yes. Well, and that's the other thing I was going to say is you know some of these routes we talked about. I got so easy to drive it this and that, but there is reason to not drive these things, right? Right. In in a ideal world, there would be proper intercity rail that actually went to the airports, and you could just go to your local reasonably high speed rail station and be at the airport in less time than it would take you to drive and walk upstairs with your bag and be done, as opposed to having to deal with flying it. Um, now you've gone crazy talk. Uh, yeah. I'm just a European socialist. What can I say? <laughs> you've, been, you've been in New Hampshire too long. Hey, you, get, um, you, get, you, you haven't you spent much time in New Hampshire, have you? No, I actually have. It's quite the opposite. I was going to say, I stick out here pretty badly. You give it long enough, Seth, and you will have rail to LAX eventually. Eventually. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, 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 not to LAX, just nearby. Yeah, yeah, you'll get close, and then you'll just take an Uber yeah, or, or no, a bus. So people, they're going to eventually have the people mover extend all the way to the railway to the rental cars facility. Yeah, if you hop on Amtrak now, by the time you make it out to the West Coast, the people mover might be done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, given how bad the Amtrak reliability is on some of the long haul routes, that might although also aren't they all shut down right now? Or Actually, I think the long haul routes are the only ones that are operating regularly. Oh. Yeah, I mean, they, remember they promised us the uh, train to the rental car station in O'Hare. A year and a half ago. It's still not still, still not open. As they tweet every day, they are still finalizing the project. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so other stories. Uh, back to front boarding is coming to Delta or is happening now on Delta. Uh, is this because of uh, coronavirus? Is that the reason they're doing it? Yeah, that's so what they're saying. How does, how does that work? Do they call out row numbers or like, hey, Jeff, let's go. Like you're one of eight. <laughs> you're the one guy. <laughs> hey, hey <laughs> Jeff in 32J, you're up now. <laughs> uh, Susan in 28A. Yep, come on. Uh, basically, I mean, that's what they're doing though. They're they're just doing uh, from the ro- rows from the back to the front, not priority boarding anybody. Um, they are telling you know first class passengers they're allowed to board early if they want, but su- strongly suggesting that not be the case. Well, there's no fight for overhead bin space anymore. No. So are, are they just doing like groups of rows, like 25 to 35, like JetBlue did for 20 years? Something like that. Yeah. Uh. And they're asking people to stay six feet apart while they board? Hell if I know. <laughs> Again, we'll see, there just aren't that many. So Yeah, you know. that's true. That's true. Um, that makes hard standing interesting. Oh, yeah, because of the bus and stuff? There, there is no need to hard stand anymore. There's no density at the gates. But like LaGuardia for Delta, they can't even pull up the small regional jets up to the terminal. Uh, can't they at the new like weird J pier or whatever that thing is along that far wall, the far of the property line? I haven't gone. I haven't seen that one. But historically, the CRJ twos could never get to a gate. 
Jason, do you know if they fixed that with the new pier out at the far end? Probably not, since that's dedicated to, or supposed to be dedicated to shuttle flights, and you'd never see a 200 on those. Really? It's like six gates out there, I thought. Uh, yeah, but it's supposed, it was, at least when they announced it, it was supposed to only be for the shuttle operations. Huh. I'm sure you'll have an, a couple flights peppered in there, but I, I don't know what it can or can't accept. But yeah, that is, that is right, that historically at C&D, uh, 200s had to be boarded from out in the rj farm which i guess is where the new pier is built right that, that's not, the thing i mean i'm sure there's still hard stand space somewhere on the property but well i mean at the rate we're going the shuttle flights will be crj 200s Ooh. <laughs> oh boy um <laughs> Wait, will we see props come back this time no no i don't think the q atr is talking up their uh fuel efficiency i don't think we would have ever predict- predicted the last round of props coming back but they did no way <laughs> <laughs> Can you even buy a Dash 8 anymore? Do they even make them anymore? Someone bought them. Are they still producing them? Viking? Yeah, Viking. Are, are they still producing Q400s? I have no idea. I bet Wittero has some to sell. So. <laughs> Dude, don't joke. Wittero was the largest uh, operator in Europe by frequency. Is it really? I mean, they have like... But I mean, it's like a central service that they're providing because they fly yeah. to so many like far off like destinations in Sweden and the Nordics. Yeah, like Norway mostly. Yeah, like all the like island and remote coastal towns that the big planes don't go to even. Yeah, yeah. Makes now, there sense. Was, someone posted the other day. Um, I, I follow the guy, the director of Euro Control on Twitter, and he both him and I know a guy who works as dispatch at Widro, um, who's based in the United States somehow. I don't entirely understand that. Um, but yeah, they... They were like they did like a hundred and something flights a day, and in the day, and that was the most of any airline in Europe. Wow! Hmm. Wow. Uh, um, speaking of European airlines, uh, Lot has backed out of their deal to buy Condor. Uh, surprise! Surprise! That was probably uh, a good idea. Yeah, I, I feel like financially, it's a smart decision. Um, <laughs> and so now it kind of leaves open what is going to happen to Lot. I mean, they can still i guess come back from bankruptcy maybe lot or condor or condor sorry i apology they're gonna need help of some sort whether that's uh some sort of financing or maybe they get snatched up like calitalia nationalize it renationalize there there is a loan outstanding and a potential another loan i think from what i read so they're not ready to die quite yet but um i think there's also like maybe they were vaguely profitable but brought down by the bigger uh thomas cook group issues Hmm. So they might be able to operate better if they're yeah. correctly financed. And, yeah. Hell if I know. But is this the time to really back an airline like that? When you, like, you know, clearly Lufthansa is Germany's main carrier. Wouldn't that be the one to prop up more than the other? Um, Maybe. I don't know. I guess, is it, how do you decide which airline to prop up? Yeah. One that has more impact to your economy? Yeah, uh, Brian Summers uh, from Skift actually wrote a really interesting story about this, basically saying um, something to that effect, like why are the air- why are the governments propping up all these tiny airlines that probably don't need to exist? Like, what if you just shut Austrian down and let Lufthansa operate from Vienna? Jobs, like, that's it, right? And would they be local jobs? And right at this point, it's all pay scale stuff, anyways. Like Lufthansa shutting down German Wings is basically a pay scale thing, and they got the backing of the background of COVID-19 to be able to pull it off. Yeah. So. I mean, there maybe it is time for some airlines to go away. But right now, the, it seems like the government is sort of keeping anything, any home carrier up. I mean, even Norwegian got a bailout. Right? That one is just, I'm still shocked by that. Although, if you listen to the folks at Norwegian, they're upset because they're only getting one of the three 
Scandinavian governments, and SAS is getting all three. Oh well, they should they shouldn't have uh, they shouldn't have named their carrier Norwegian. Then. Yeah, one's called Scandinavian, the other's <laughs> called Norwegian. <laughs> <laughs> you make a good point. I'm just saying. <laughs> Going on a technicality. Here. <laughs> um, and then I think lastly, we wanted to talk about Seth. Your your father had asked you uh, just some general travel advice, and kind of the question was, when when can I start planning to travel again? Uh, and when can I start thinking about my plans and what I want to do? Uh, and so we just wanted to have that discussion kind of we're, we're armchair, you know, yeah, ep- and epidemiologists. It was, so. it, was <laughs> g- it was general, but also very specific. They had a trip planned to Iceland this summer with uh, their grandkids, my nieces, ne- my two nephews, and the they had a deposit in on it, but the payment is due. Mm. for the tour and it's you know a sizable amount of cash and he basically was asking me he's like well, we're supposed to go mid-july should i send in the rest of the money now mm. you know are the, are the flights operating are they going to keep operating is there a chance this is going to happen etc and you know we we had a decent long talk about it he had to go back and get some more details to find out what the right choice was but you know my there was a question of would the well, you know would it be a refund or would it be a credit and who if who cancels and how all those things happen and my comment to him was you know, if you don't think the deal, the the airfare is already paid for, right? That's fully done. So that's sunk cost one way or another. Uh, maybe you get a credit from Iceland Air eventually, but that's nothing you can do about that. But do you write a new, a big check or you know, a big credit card bill transaction to the tour company now? And I was like, well, you know, w- the alternative is potentially forego the deposit that you already have down and then make a decision six weeks from now. Yes, I really do still want to go and there's still the, the cabin available. Let's buy it then. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, it, and I don't know what the numbers are other than that it's a reasonably expensive trip. So it's a lot of money to put down. And, you know, he, he, he said there was some indicator that if they if as passengers they chose to cancel, they would be allowed to keep it as a credit anyways. So as long as they take the trip eventually, no big deal. Yeah. But, um, you know, and they were even given, given a small cre- uh, like a 10 percent bonus on that credit. So not the worst thing in the world, but also trying to figure out what the right choice is. And I, you know, without knowing the full details that I couldn't give him a firm answer, but at this point I am disinclined to commit to any travel this summer, I think is yeah. probably the best way to phrase it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, which I mean, I, It's okay. sad, right? I mean, that's sad. Uh, yeah. I, I want to travel, uh, but I think that's the, that's the, actually the stark reality is that this is probably not going to be over by summer uh, to the point where you can travel freely and without issue. No, and people are definitely getting antsy. My parents actually just forwarded me an email they got from TravelZoo today that's saying uh, a whopping 72% of their uh, email recipients said that they would like to see travel deals again, and they're ready to at least start browsing travel. Um, And then they started touting unprecedented deals for later this year in 2021, 50% off flights, $100 five-star hotel rooms. Um, So, yeah, there's definitely... That about a cruise company in LA that reported a 40% boost, 40%, yeah. which I'm, how fucking nuts do you have to be to decide not only that cruising is a great idea, but cruising right now when like those ships got stuck at sea with people dying on them is a good idea. Right. Like, There's no telling if, if this flares back up at any point. If one person gets sick on a ship, who, who the hell knows what happens with that you, thing? You get stuck out at sea because no one will open their border and die right. to you. Yeah, I think flights and hotels are going to stand a chance at rebounding quicker than cruises, but apparently the world's gone mad and everyone's ready to at least start thinking about the possibility of buying a flight or a hotel room or even a cruise somehow. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, the one thing is, at least right now, looking at where the refund policies are and the flexibility is, points are super flexible, more so than usual. And even cash, at least, you know, you're 
right now the flexibility of it, you can at least have it as a credit later if they don't cancel. If you decide to cancel, and they don't. But the, some of the point stuff, I mean, you can debate good or bad. American changed its rules, and there's a lot of people complaining about how they did it um, for refunding on tickets where some changes now will cost money with it didn't before but others don't um they sort of snuck that in today's news but but right now the airlines even for um the for non-refundable tickets they'll still be you still get a credit so through the end of the month there's really no risk in buying a plane ticket if you're okay with the credit uh the risk being if that particular airline goes out of business yeah. Yes. That is, and truly shuts down and doesn't transfer its assets and liabilities to another operation, which I think is very low. Right. One of the majors, at least, you wouldn't have that issue with. Yeah. It's taken a lot of restraint, I think, for on many people, just like the four of us here, to not just go absolutely wild and buy ridiculous flights for the future. I, I Foz, haven't done it, but maybe you have. Foz, I'll throw you under the bus. Foz convinced me to go to Tokyo at the end of the year. So In December. <laughs> In December, yeah. So we, we booked that. <laughs> Japan is one of those countries that's completely closed its borders to pretty much everyone else, right? Yeah, yeah. So Who hasn't closed their border? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so we're, we're speculating that things will be maybe better. And if they're not, uh, I'll, I'll ofaz the refund redeposit fee for the miles. <laughs> so I'm sure if we can't go, we will not get charged. <laughs> so, uh, but other than that, I haven't booked anything. Um, yeah, I just I'm like I'm really hesitant to do anything. I'm really hesitant to book anything. Um, so we'll see. I have a cafe ticket that still needs to be rebooked that I haven't taken the initiative to call them yet. I should probably do that before the the ticket comes up uh, next week. So <laughs> yeah, if you call in now, put your name in the queue, they might call you by then. Yeah, exactly. So we'll I've see. got nothing left to to cancel. The only thing I had coming up was an Amtrak trip on the Vermonter to Vermont, and the Vermonter doesn't go to Vermont anymore. So I'm not going to Vermont. How does that work? The Vermont is only operating between like Washington D.C. and I think Rhode Island or somewhere in Connecticut. So Hartford, Hartford, there it is. So they, of course, they didn't notify me, so I had to just stumble upon it on the app on my own. But credit to them, they refunded me in about not refunded. They gave me my a credit back in just a few minutes. But I, I thought that was ironic that the Vermonter does not go to Vermont anymore. Wait, they couldn't get you to where you were going, and they wouldn't refund your money. Well, the fare was $106, $100 of which I used an Amtrak credit I already had for. So if I could convert Amtrak credit to dollars, I would. Okay. Yeah, I had much, this fight with Jason on Twitter also. We got I got How much is a is a uh, Amtrak voucher like point worth? Is it like a shroot buck? <laughs> <laughs> the exchange rate is probably pretty low these days. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I think that's a show, gentlemen. Uh, Jason, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Pleasure to have you explaining airplane stuff to us. And uh, stay safe Thank to our you, listeners. Patrick. Yeah, of course. And uh, to our listeners, thanks for listening. If you have a comment or question, uh, hit us up on Twitter, at Dots Lines, more dots, more lines.com. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening and happy travels. Bye-bye. Take care. See you later.